0: following the life of David, continuing on in our series. This is a bit of a rhetorical question because I I know the answer. Have you ever had a really, really bad day, a bad week, the week when it comes to Friday, you're thinking it's going to be over, and then Monday comes and it's gotten worse, which you, because of our limited imagination, could not imagine how it could have gotten worse But somehow, over the weekend, it did. And then the month, and unfortunately, at times, the year. And if you got to know some people in the room, you might say, the decade. And you're like, have you ever had days, weeks, months, years like that? I think many of us have. Sometimes when we're young, here's one of the the negatives of growing older, right? I'm in my mid-40s now, so I'm a a bit older enough now. I can tell you something I've learned, that there are seasons, when you think we've had it rough sometimes in our teen years and in our early years, you're like, man, I wish, I'm glad I didn't know that was coming. Because some seasons can get very, very difficult. Today, we're going to look at four chapters we're going to look at them briefly we're not going to read them all uh, so we'll assign some of it for homework but our friend david goes through this i'm going to tell you right now we are going to go through a few of, we're going to actually look through the specifics of his daily life there's not going to be as much theology here it's going to come in the end a bit but there is going to be let's just look at david's life and see what he goes through because it's very easy to kind of do this broad brush and go oh he's had a rough time he's had a rough season yeah, don't we all? Oh, look at how it ends. If you don't like spoilers, you know, you know, close your ears, you know, here. If you're on the Internet, you know, turn away for a second, hit mute. Uh, the end here, he starts in it. You're going to go in the desert, if you will. Yeah, metaphorically speaking. And when we're done today, we don't get to go. They, he finishes in the desert. The solution is not that he's taken out of the desert. It's the victory that he receives in the desert. All right, so I've uh, got to set a little context because it's kind of be there's those kind of people you look at life. People just say, you ever hear people say something about someone? Man, they're just a little unlucky. I mean, they, their life is like this. Well, David, David is not one of those guys. You know, David's here. He's a shepherd. He's the youngest. Got a big family. They're doing all right. He's out uh, just to, you know tending some uh, as a shepherd for his family. And here comes a prophet. A prophet comes to the house and he meets all the brothers and he's coming with a direct vision from God to say, I am here to anoint the next king. Pretty big deal because the current king already has children. He has a son. He has other people and it's being bypassed. And after he meets all the brothers, he says, you got to have somebody else. Oh, there's one younger one, but you don't want to meet him. I want to meet him. I want to meet this younger one. So David's called in, meets the prophet and the prophet says, you're it. And he anoints him, if you will, as the next king of Israel. Now that's a pretty good day, right? That's kind of like winning the lottery. You hear like I'm just out tending sheep. You walk me in and you say I'm gonna be the next king of Israel. But he's kind of kind of quiet, just stay here. Well, this king himself, the current king, says, You got a lot of talent, you got musical talents, I've heard about you. Why don't you come and reside in my court? He gets to reside in the king's court. He gets to play with the king. He gets to be around the important people. Things are going well. Things are going well. There's a big war comes, maybe a negative. There's a big guy from the Philistines, Goliath, giant. He dares the Israelites, dares any man of value, of valor, any warrior, come and fight me one on one. Whoever wins, that army wins. The other one stands down. No one's going to fight. No one. Here comes David, a little uppity maybe, a little confidence, a little sense of the spirit. I'll fight him. Here's your armor. Armor's too big. Can't fit it. I'm going to fight him with my sling. David becomes a hero. Things could not be going better. He kills Goliath, the giant, with a sling. Goes back. King Saul says, you're going to marry my daughter. Beautiful, Michael. So now you go back, you get to marry the king's daughter. The king now is your father in law. You're married to his daughter. You're the hero of all of Israel. Life could not get better. It literally could not get better. It's one of those pinch me. Is this really happening to me? A shepherd boy. I have been blessed. God has got amazing plans for me. Look at my life. Everything is perfect. Money is no longer an issue. The future is no longer an issue. And it's going to get better because I'm going to be king. And that's where we're at, right? Now, some of us have that negative thinking sometimes. We just wait for that other shoe to drop. You know, we kind of have that little negative, you know, pessimistic side. And there's others who are a little more optimistic. That's maybe a little personality. Like, can't wait. It's get, just going to get going great. Life is great. Praise God. It's all good. And this Right at this high point is when we walk in today, right here, and see from that high point, which many of us will never see, what happens to David. Turn with me to page 244 in the Bibles that are provided for you. If you brought your Bible from home, which by the way is always a good thing, it's fine to bring your sword with you, find 1 Samuel chapter 21. We've been left with the with task to get through t- chapter 21, 22, and 23, and then it hit something in Psalm. We're only going to read a part of it, mostly the first part. Chapter 21, and then through a few verses in 22 here initially. Let's read what God has recorded for us and preserved in his word. Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling. And said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to him, Elect the, priest. the king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly, women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there, but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day that it is taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. His name was Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's herdmen. Then David said to Ahimelech, "Then have you not here a spear or a sword at hand?" For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you struck down in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it. For there is none but that here. And David said, there is none like that. Give it to me. And David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So... He changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see, the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Next chapter. And David departed from here, and he escaped to the cave of Adalam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. Skip ahead to chapter 23. We'll read the first five verses and the twelfth verse. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah, How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arrives, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. In verse 12, Then David said, he's praying to the Lord, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. There's a lot there, and this is the part we are going to take it apart bit by bit. We're going to feel this pain, so the next few minutes may get a little bit like, ugh, because we're going to feel what David's going through, because it's not enough for us to go, oh yeah, I had a few things happen to him, but yet, don't forget, he's golden boy. Uh, we're going to feel it a bit. How do we leave it, right? He's, he's got a father-in-law, the king, he's married you know, to Michael, he's hero, he's playing for the king. What happened? Because we picked it up at, he's on the run. I didn't even mention that he made like best friends with the king's son. And this guy, Jonathan, is going to become a lifelong friend. It's all good. The king got jealous. All the good that David was doing. So the first thing, David is humbly, patiently serving the king. And the king gets jealous. Now, let's think about how hard that would be. You know you're anointed king already. You know that Saul is acting a little bit inappropriately. I don't know about you, but I might go, hey, dude, time for you to step down it's it's you're sitting in my chair you're you're sitting in my chair and the way you're acting I could do a better job we're gonna throw a little coup probably could get a lot of people but no he doesn't do that he's patiently serving the king doing everything he can to help him and all the good that he does boomerangs on him makes the king feel jealous feel smaller feel pettier raises up his paranoid this guy is good and guess who can hurt me somebody good So the better David was, the more gentle David was, created more anger from Saul. And Saul now tries to kill him. Saul tries to kill him. Now, I know there's jokes about our in-laws, right? (laughs) It can get tough sometimes with in-laws. I don't know there's too many of us that have had our in-laws, our mother-in-law, our father-in-law try to kill us. That's a bit of a challenge, We are now in a snare. What are we supposed to do? David is an outlaw. He now has to run. Because Saul wasn't like, listen, that was my temper speaking. My bad, totally. I want to make up. Let me give you a kingdom. No, he was like, I tried to kill you and I missed. That's the only part I'm upset about. Because next time, I'm going to get you. So this is just a little note to the single men out here. You know, if you're going to you know look to date a girl whose father is king and has ultimate authority and the entire police force reports to him, you might want to think twice. Because David's got nowhere to go now. There is no due process. He is an outlaw, and the police force is coming to get him as a fugitive. There is no, wait a minute, not, right? check the judge, I did everything good. It's really his fault, throw him in jail. No, no, no. He's dating the king's daughter, he's married to her. He is now an outlaw, a fugitive. And remember, he's done nothing wrong. He's done nothing wrong. So he's running. He's going out nowhere to go. Can't go home. They know where home is. They're, they're going to look for him there. Where is he supposed to go? He's got nothing. He had to leave. What he's going to do, he gets on a horse and he leaves. At least he had his credit card with him, right? Because he got ATMs everywhere. He could go anywhere he wants with his American Express card, Oh, that's right, one time of life is David living in here. He can go with what he can carry. He can go with what he can carry. When he gets to nightfall, he better have a good sleeping bag. He's, go, he's on his own, literally, with no money, no food. So where is he going to go? I don't know. I'm going to go to a church. He's going to go to the church. He runs to a priest. You know, they've got the priest. They've got all these people. They've got to have some stuff. Help me out. He goes there. He doesn't ask for much. What does he ask for? Because, you know, he's had a rough go of it here. It's been a bad day, but at least he got away. So good news, and now Monday's coming, right? It's going to get a little better. He goes to the priest, and all he asks for, you know, you got a lot of priests here. you got a lot of people. Can I just have some food? And not even good. I mean, I don't need steaks. How about just some bread? And the priest goes, kind of bad timing, David. My The pantry's empty. Literally, the pantry's empty. Can you kind of picture being David right now? Like, really? I mean, really? What are all these people going to eat? Sorry, dude, we're out. Just had a big event Thursday. The refrigerator's empty. Go. We're out. I'm, if I'm David, I'm like, Lord, what is going on? I didn't do done anything wrong. My father-in-law is trying to kill me. I've got nothing. I run to a church, and they've got nothing. And literally, it was almost like today, hey, providentially, he's like, we got a few wafers from communion left. We've got the holy bread left, but we've got no common bread. You're welcome to take the leftover communion bread, because we're going to replace it anyways. So he takes the communion bread, which I don't know how long that's going to last. How long is that going to last? So he's got to move on. But he's sitting there. Before he goes on, he's like to pray, hey, do you have any weapons? Because I'm running for my life here. Do you have any weapons here? This is a time of warfare in this world that he's growing up. It's a harsh time of, of uh, history. And you go, we don't. We don't have anything. Again, we got no weapons. Oh, you know what? We do have one weapon here. One. It's kind of symbolic. We have it back here kind of wrapped up. We have the sword of Goliath that you killed when you killed Goliath. talk about the hard irony here. You're now going to give me the weapon that reminds me of the time when I was a hero. When without a weapon, I killed Goliath. I killed the enemy, the evil one. And now the only weapon you have is one that's probably too heavy for me to begin with. But it's from the enemy. And every time I look at it, I remind myself of where I came from from the height from which I've fallen. Maybe like a letter of one of your best friends reminding you that I will never leave you. I love you. And this is the person who stabbed you in the back. And you're like, this is the letter. Here, have some reading. You're going to be alone a lot. Why don't you read this? (laughs) Dang, that's going to help. That's going to help a lot. So he's probably done, right? He flees to Gath if you want not read the story this is the part we read he flees to Gath he gets there and you know there's times where we kind of want to walk into a town and go oh yeah I know him yeah, yeah I know her she's a yeah, nice lady we want to be recognized this is kind of a time when David wanted to go somewhere and just probably let himself go a little bit unkempt right he's out in the middle here he doesn't have his finery on and wouldn't mind being just a little you know unnoticed <laughs> he walks into the town and there's people like that's, that's David you know This is the guy they they sing songs about. This is the guy they dance to. Remember they say the stuff, you know, Saul killed his thousands and David killed his ten thousands. And so these people are now saying this and David's like, shh, 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 quiet. And they go tell the leader, kind of called king, but king of a region, leader here. They tell him this. And why are they telling him this? So that they can throw a party. They're like, what is a warrior like David doing here? King, uh, leader, you might want to be careful because this guy doesn't lose. David's now, I just walked into this place just to have a place to be alone for a bit, just to recuperate. And now this town is afraid of me. I got nothing. And now they're afraid of me. David doesn't have an army. He doesn't have anything. What's he going to do? He gets a little creative, by the way. He gets a little creative. He decides, I need to literally like act like I'm no threat at all. And the best way I know to act like no threat, I got to show them I'm insane. So he literally starts acting like a madman. He walks around town blubbering and and marking on walls and spittles running down his beard. And we might take that as a little bit humorous, but like, okay, okay, hit me, think about who this is. This is the next king. This is the guy who's a hero who has to act like an idiot. Walking around just so that a place he's looking for safety won't hurt him. Oh, how the mighty have fallen, walking around with spittle on his beard, acting like a madman. This is not a good Tuesday by any stretch of the imagination, but it works. He's a madman. This guy's this guy not harmful. He's a madman. He gets to go away, he gets to leave. He goes away. And we're like, wow. So now he escapes. He escapes to a cave. And I'm like, eh, this is, uh, my notes have this in it. So now he escapes the cave. I think he's given up on the cities. You know, I was in the king's court. I went to the church. So I went from the king's court to the church. Then I went from the church to a city. This is not working out. I'm just going to go to a cave in the desert. So now he's on his way to a cave in the desert how the mighty have fallen. Chapter 22, I want to reread this. David departed from there, and he escaped to the cave of Adilam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became captain over them, and there were with him about four hundred men. And if we read that last part first, I probably should have done that. Read the last. Hey, all of a sudden, David's got a little army of four hundred people. Hey, things are looking up. How did he get this army? He goes into this cave, goes into the desert, and guess who's attracted to him? Did a bunch of people leave you know, Saul's court? Everybody come riding in with white horses and big spears. Did they bring the bazookas and say, "Hey, you know, we got it all now. We've got everything you need." No, everybody who was in debt. Everybody who's outcast from society, everybody who was bitter and angry, they ran to him. David's like, this is who I'm attracting now. This is who I'm attracting. He's got this ragtag group of in debt, broken down people that were outcast from their society that said, hey, David, we'll be with you. No, no one else will have you. He's got this little rag tag group. He's got a few followers. One of the parts that we didn't read, and I'll, I'll save us from the reading, but if you read a bit at the end of chapter 22, remember that guy Doeg? We just read about him a little bit. David now is going to feel really, really bad. So he went to the priest, he asked for some bread. And the priest asked him, well, how can I help you? What mission are you on? And David told him an untruth. David said, I'm here on a king's mission. We're here, and we had to go so fast. We didn't get a chance to get our weapons. We didn't get a chance to pack any food. So the priest, believing that, why would you not, helped him out. He gave him whatever they had, right? He gave him Goliath's sword. He gave him a little bit of the uh, holy bread. And he goes, well, Saul send somebody to these priests, to their town. He says, Why did you help David? He's against me. He was like, No, we didn't know anything. We didn't do anything. We just he said he was working for you. He said he's on a mission from you. We gave him just a little bread and one sword. And so Saul instructs his followers to kill them, to kill all the priests. Now, even Saul's followers had a little bit of a heart, and they're like, uh-uh, we don't want any part of that. So this guy, Doeg, Doeg Saul goes, Well then you do it, Doeg. You want to see you seem like you want to rise up, seems like you're ambitious, and he does. Kills them all. Kills tens and tens and dozens of them. And he takes it further. He kills their wives, he kills their kids, he kills their calves, he kills their animals, he destroys the whole city. Now, can you imagine how David feels here? I went there, I just asked for help, I told him a bit of untruth. They're in trouble because of me. And they're all dead. If you weren't feeling low, you're really feeling low now. I mean, many, many women and children and priests are dead. And you could feel that. You had a lot to do with it. You had a lot to do with it. Then we jump ahead. This is how you're feeling and what happens in chapter 23. You probably have a hard time getting up out of bed in the morning. You've maybe lost your appetite. You're like, I can't really do much today. So people come to you, and do they come with a good word and a hug? Now, what do they come? Hey, David, we know you've kind of got some skills with a sword. Uh, Philistines are attacking Keilah up the road. Um, And we're kind of thinking that you can help us. Because the Philistines, this big, massive army, the Philistines, we we heard you got a couple ragtag guys. Could you help us? Now, if God wouldn't control my tongue, this would be the time and place in my life where I'd say, are you kidding me? I got a little bit on my plate right now. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've got the king's whole army against me. I'm sitting in a cave. I've got nothing. And you're asking me. You've got the nerve to ask me for help. So what does David do? He helps him. David helps him. He prays to the Lord first. He prays, God, should I do this? These are one of those tough questions, right? You know, you have to, you know, should I help? Should I not? I got nothing left. I mean, I got literally, emotionally, physically, I've got nothing left, but I've, I've got my God. And Lord, if you tell me this is what I'm supposed to do, I'll go help him. So he helps him. And God is with him. And guess what, you know, just like, guess what happens with David? What happens to the Philistines? What do you think happens to the Philistines? Yeah, David, in God's grace, takes care of him. And I'm thinking as I'm reading all this, you know, and I remember stories from Sunday school. All right, now we're finally looking up. Now, Now, okay, it was a bad season, right? Bad seasons happen. Now things are looking up. We just got, we're back on track. We're winning again. So what happens next? This one's a big deal. When you're at your lowest, when you're physically down in the dumps, and maybe just a glimmer, just a glimmer. People ask for help. They still remember you have some strength. Ask for your help. You help them. And Saul's coming. They hear about this battle. They're going to come to Keilah now. And David goes, God, will the Keilites will they protect me? Or will they betray me? So you're praying to your Lord now. And the Lord says, they are going to betray you. When the king comes, they're going to say, thanks for helping us. There he is. Remember, Jesus was betrayed with a kiss from one of his own. Have you been that way? Have you gotten ever close to something like this? Where now when the, you have nothing left, when you're looking to rely on the people you've helped, those may be closest to you. The only ones who can help you, the ones you've just done a good turn to, and they, out of their selfishness, go, it's all about me. And therefore, sorry buddy, but you're gonna have to take it. Talk about hurt, right? One of the blessings of being intimate with the church, getting to know everyone, is one of the challenges. When we know each other well, we know when one of us is in this kind of a downward spiral. It's not kind of a thing we like to talk, you know, shop from the mountaintops. But there are people in this room, there are people, there's those sitting here who are in a season of refreshing, who things are on the first chapters, chapters 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20 of 1 Samuel, the rise of David. There are those in chapters 21, 22, and 23, when, if you will, all hell breaks loose on them, on this earth. What Christ also experienced when literally hell was broken loose on him. Hurt when Satan himself comes against. In that moment, what do we do? Well, let's start with how do we feel? Because we have to deal with feelings, right? How do we feel? Depressed? Forsaken? Confused? Angry? Loss of energy? humiliated, right? All of these things. And that's all real. It's all very real. And that's that's what the evil one will want us to think because they're going to feel like we've been lost. Maybe we might even feel so far as that God is against us. Not just that he's forgotten us, but that he's actually against us. Could you imagine David thinking that, God, what did I do? Why are you so against me? But in the miracle that is Scripture, if you ever want to know why you should get to know Scripture, This is a great, great example. If you don't know and study the Bible, you will not know things like this. And this takes time and effort. Psalm 34. Turn with me to Psalm 34. Page 463. Psalm 34 has a heading. The heading of Psalm 34... And if we're just reading through the Psalms, we may not think much about this, but here's the heading on Psalm 34. This is a Psalm of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech so that he drove him out and he went away. This is the Psalm of David written in his diary during the day that he had to act like a madman in front of Abimelech when he was going running from Saul. So this Psalm is written by David for this moment, for this period in his life. You know, it was, it was, he still had a little bit to go. We went further. But this is during his time of acting like a madman. What is in his mind? What is in his heart? What is in his pen to write? I'll tell you right now, sometimes when I'm down, when I'm really hurting, when I feel like it's, it's coming at me in every which way, I'm in the storm, as, as we sang, and the oceans are rising in the storm, it's hard sometimes to even read something like this what we're going to see, let alone write it. But let's see where David's heart was at. Follow along with me. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. And he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him, and he saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Therefore keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, The Lord hears, and he delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. I got this word underlined three times. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Affliction will slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the life of His servants, none of those who take refuge in Him will be condemned. Psalm thirty four is our application part. We see what was going through. We had to go through what was going through, but what is in David's heart? What is in his mind? What is in his hand to pen? Who can write this? I will bless the Lord at all times. We sing songs like this. Again, we sang two today, oceans and through the storm. When the waves are up to my eyeballs, what does God do? He keeps the waves just below our eyeballs. One of our key takeaways here, key, this is, this is, this is probably the main takeaway for us. God does not save us from trouble. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many. God saves us through trouble. In the Christian church, a lot of times we go through life and we're like, "Say, why is this happening to me? Why this and then this and a fourth and a fifth? God, where are you? When this storm hits us, it's not that God has never promised us to keep us from the storm. Never, never, never. And Satan wants to flip that on us. Well, you're having, you know, there's your God. I'll show you where my God is. My God is going to be the anchor. We're saying that, right? They anchor. My God is the God who's going to get me through the storm. Don't ever, ever make me try and say that my God will protect me from the storm. He will protect me through the storm. He was not promising David a life of ease. He was not promising a continual trajectory upward. He was promising his mercies for the day, for the hour, and sometimes for the minute. I will see you through. And we need to have a proper definition of this because we get lost sometimes. We can sometimes believe that when it's the third and a fourth and a fifth issue, but I took you through 12 major issues of David. And when we get to number seven, eight, and nine, all right, that's it. So, you know, where's God in this? You know, clearly, I'm not either in his camp. He doesn't love me anymore. God is not at work. I'm like invisible here because there's the, when you get to eight storms, that's clearly a different issue. We can all handle two or three, maybe four. When it gets really intense, we need to know that God promised not from, but through. Not from, but through. We need to read it. It's all underlined here for me. Verses 17, 18, 19. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears, and he delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He will get them through them. Many are the afflictions. And by the way, if you look at verse 21, afflictions will slay the wicked. What it's telling us there, it says it's going to rain on the just and the unjust. That's another verse in Scripture. It says afflictions will come to everybody, but the afflictions will slay the wicked. It sure don't look like it's slaying Saul right now. He's not He's. Ah, I didn't say right now. I said it will. And that's as good as gold. And I said, I will take you out of this. Well, I'm still in it. I didn't say right now. I said, I will. So this is the thing we need to remind ourselves, right? Yeah, we need to speak to ourselves the truth of Scripture. You want to be powerful in the Spirit? Be powerful. We need to speak to ourselves the truth. We can't speak to ourselves lies. When we speak lies to ourselves, we're going to be weak. And the enemy is giving us lies all day long. We've got to speak truth. So the truth is that God will get me through it. And that God will vindicate and he will save me fully and ultimately. God will save me fully, 100%, and ultimately. Means it will end with my victory. It will end with vindication. It will end in righteousness. It will end in peace and prosperity. But that may not be today. And that the enemy will end. Those Saul, if you will, will get what he has coming to him for the wickedness that he was doing. Maybe not today, but he will get fully and ultimately. Fully and ultimately, and that is something that is critical for us to believe and understand. A couple quick, quick subpoints. I don't think we can go through all of this without having a few learning points that are brief. Attitude is important. Verses 1 through 3, David starts with, I will bless the Lord at all times. This is a, basically, this is a truth. It says, I will feel like blessing the Lord at all times, right? You know, he's like, yeah. And say feel. I said, I will. Uh, you know, I was thinking about my brother in law, and I'm seeing his daughter in here. It's just a quote he said to me my whole life motion brings emotion. And I'll never forget that. It is, I will bless the Lord even when I don't feel like it because I'm in the storm, because that's what I've decided to do. That is my attitude because He is God, and I know He will save me ultimately and fully. Therefore, I can bless Him truly in a good spirit, with a good heart, and with a good attitude. Why are you smiling? Why are you smiling? If anyone should not be smiling right now, it should be you. You should not be smiling. Either you're kind of, I don't know what's wrong with you, but you should not be smiling. And you're, God is going to take care of all of this. Well, he sure hasn't yet, I know. That just means I'm one day closer to when he will. And what, if you, what if you die? And then in that day, in that day, know that I've been vindicated. In that day, know that he has saved me ultimately. In that day. That's why we can smile. That's why we can have a good attitude. That's why David had a good attitude when he didn't do anything wrong. So a point, let's not confuse this. This is where just a little bit for us. Let's not confuse when we get in discipline of God and sin. We can't claim the same promises there. That's when we need to repent, right? We can get in all kinds of mess in life because of our own sin, This is not, this is not this, we got plenty of other sermons for that, right? We can study lots of Bible studies on that. That's when we need to repent and change. This is when we've done it right, when we've done good, that's when we just need to hang on to his promises, hang on. Number two, uh, look at verse four, look at David saying here, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Um, How was David delivered in this story? He acted like a madman. Uh, uh, God didn't supernaturally come in and just like pluck him out and kill the people and you know take care of it like he did a lot of times. What is David saying? How is he praising God here? Why is he praising that God did this? Because he said, "Who gave me the creativity? Who gave me this ridiculously amazing, wonderful idea that worked to act like a madman and the ability to do it? The creativity that comes to us to help us be resilient, to help us survive." It is not our own strength. That creativity, that kind of you know, unique idea, that's God's Holy Spirit going, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you just enough. That's our third point here. These helps, they weren't enough to just, like, fix everything, were they ever. You know, the, the church, if you will, the priest had just enough bread that he could get by for a little bit. Right? Just enough. Here, he's going to have just enough creativity to think of an idea that's going to get him out of trouble. Jonathan, a friend, we didn't read it, but it's just going to come and give him just enough insight. But Jonathan doesn't come and, like, take over the kingdom and help him. He gives him just enough for another day. In the times of the desert, sometimes the help, and we need to praise him for it, is just enough to get to the next trouble. Just enough to get us through this trouble, and just enough strength for the next trouble. And when we can't think of anything, we finally have an idea of what we might be able to do, We should give praise to God for that idea. Because our brain may not have been functioning so well for a while because we're kind of been on like autopilot. God gave us an idea. Verse 5, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. What's David saying here? I refuse to play the blame game. First of all, it's not really saying it here, but he's not blaming Saul. He's just saying these are my circumstances. They are what they are. I am dealing with them in glory of God. But who else did he not blame? When we get to number 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 of our storm, guess who we tend to blame? You know what? We might not say it to everyone else. I am such an idiot. <laughs> Look at my life. Everyone else's is just go. mine is a mess people are against me, Saul's against me, I must have done something wrong, I must have looked at him wrong, I I, I don't know what I did, I I went to the wrong place, if I had just went left instead of right, oh, if I would have just, this is clearly my fault, once I finally start to own this, once I finally start to say it's my fault, then I can finally get healing, and guess what happens, we get a lot of people come to us and say, when you can just admit that this is your fault, The blame game Satan is pushing is, this is my fault. I should be ashamed of myself. And what does David say? Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. They're going to stand tall in the storm for the praise and honor and glory of God. Amen? Amen. Now, we need some wisdom, though. Remember what I said before? To know when it's us doing it or when it's our circumstances. If it's our sin, we don't stand tall. We get on our knees and we repent. When it's God-allowed circumstances like Job, then we stand tall for his honor and for his glory. And our last point, this is, as hard as this is to hear, this is a wonderful opportunity. When God takes us into the desert, it is an opportunity. Opportunity for two things. One, to learn from him. If you want to talk to me offline, I can tell you some stories in my life, and I know others, I have more powerful stories of others, where the storm was so deep, so heavy, when you really can't even see straight, there is a different way you know what faith means. There is a different depth to the words, I will trust my Lord and my Savior. He brings us closer to him, more, more deeply, more personally. More personally. And in a way that you can't quite just study from a chapter in a book. you got to go through it. And if you ever have a heart to evangelize and share the gospel with others and say, man, I wish they could just open their eyes and their ears to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he can do for us. When you're a golden boy or golden girl, when everything's going great, right? When you're valedictorian, or you're this, or you're that, and you, know, you, know, you get the best job that everybody wanted, and you get promoted, and your kids are just looking so cute in their little ribbons and bows, and it's, oh, so amazing, I everything's mean, so wonderful. He says, like, let me tell you about my Jesus. You're like, yeah, I don't need to hear anything from you sometimes. I don't need to hear anything from you. But when David's like this, he says, let me tell you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They said, if you can still magnify him here, I'm willing to get a cup of coffee and hear what you have to say. There were people in my life I was trying to share the gospel with over and over and over. When life was on a positive trajectory in my life, when some things really got pulled out from underneath me in a pretty heavy, heavy, heavy way, people showed up in my house and says, "They say, hey, Stan, let me give you a hug. We're sorry for your life, etc.' I want to talk to you about this Jesus you've been talking about." I said, "Why? Well, you still have a smile on your face, even though you shouldn't." <laughs> I will listen to you now. It's a quote. From a dear friend who's still not a believer, I will listen to you now. I wouldn't have listened to Golden Boy before. When I know you know pain, when you know suffering, when things are, I will listen about your Jesus now. And what do we say to that? We say, amen, Lord, take me deeper. If this is your glory, if this is your will, if this is your opportunity, if we really want to live for Christ, it's an opportunity. Not one that our strength will get us through, though. We will, I will fail it, unless the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of it. I'll fight that every day. I'm like, go. where's the green pastures, Lord? Because I want out of the desert. I'm thirsty, and I'm tired, and my skin's getting roasted. I got no friends left, and I'm not even, you and I seem to be far apart. Get me back to the green ground. Get me back to the mountaintop. I remember the mountaintop. I remember Thursday night at camp. Oh, how wonderful. You know, get me back to that. But it is an opportunity. It is an opportunity to, to know the Lord more in a deeper way, and to share his Christ. This was a little prophecy. David probably didn't know it at the time. His bones will not be broken. Prophetic for David personally, but for Jesus Christ himself. Read that one. Underline that too. No matter how much I allow him to suffer, Christ did nothing to deserve it. Betrayed by a kiss from a friend, from a disciple. Beaten, persecuted, destroyed. God took him, let him get beaten, I mean, just physically, everything. And to this day, to this moment right now, Christ has not been fully vindicated. He has not been fully justified. Satan is still running rampant. The adversary of Christ is still having freedom in this earth. He's still the prince of the air, but that time is going to be short. And there is a time coming when the Lord Jesus Christ will have every knee bow. And every tongue confess that he is Lord. And Satan's lips will be shut. It will be silenced forever. And he will be vindicated ultimately and fully. And in that we have hope because he is our leader and he will take us through. Amen. Let's pray to our Father. Um, I think it's appropriate if we kneel in prayer. So let's do that. Father God, we are thankful that you as hard as this is for me personally to say, because it's still a struggle, we are thankful for the storms. We are thankful for the waves when the oceans get deep. But we can be thankful because we know there's an anchor for our souls, that we will not get overwhelmed. We will not get overrun. We will not get destroyed. There will nothing come out of us that you are not able to protect us from. We may get bruised. We may get beaten. But we will be victorious in you. Lord, if we're in a storm in our life, if there are those here, we lift them up right now. Some of us don't know the circumstances. Some do. We know some. We don't know others. Lift those up, Lord. They're in a storm. Give them a vision, a hope of your majesty, of your glory, of your power, of the opportunity to know you more, to get into your word, to break down and say, Lord, comfort my heart. Let me glorify you. Take hold of my attitude so I know you, that you can protect me from the worst, not just protect me from the little stuff. And, Lord, let us be a witness in these times. Bring those, Lord, who would not listen otherwise, that they may see that this is a church of the broken that is redeemed and that you are the Lord of the broken spirit and a crushed heart, not of the proud, but of the humble and the hurting and the thankful. So, Lord, we want to be a broken church that stands up in wings and that we can be strong and that we can raise our shoulders back for you are our glory, you are our hope, you are our victory, and you are our power. And therefore, we claim nothing but your victory. For your honor, for your glory, for your sake we pray. Amen.